Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Yo, what is going on? My name's Hartzell. Happy Thursday, Kansas City. Happy Thursday to the KC Morning Hoes. We back, baby. Took a little summer vacation here on your KC Morning Show. It was fantastic. In fact, I was going to take even more days off. It's going to take the rest of the week, but we have today on your KC Morning Show a little bit of breaking news. Myself, Professor Harvey K., you know, on Tuesdays, we take back America, reclaiming that radical history of America. It's a progressive playbook. We've always had that thing. Should probably go back to that. We do that on Tuesdays. Well, today we're doing it on a Thursday because we have to comment in real time on some comments that were recently made from, I guess, now the senior senator from Missouri talking Josh Hawley. In fact, that guy is the reason why Professor K and myself, the reason why we even started this project that we got going on. So on the show today, we take back America. Rate, review, subscribe, do that thing you do. Go ahead, do it. Tell your friends about what we got going on. My name's Hartzell. I love you. It is a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. Ooh, absolutely. It's just what you do. We will see you in the morning. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. <laughs> Professor Harvey K. My brother, he is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. We are star-spangled, fired up post the 4th of July holiday, but we cannot rest on our laurels. In fact, Harvey came. we are here for some pressing news. What is said news? This is breaking. This is an emergency broadcast of Take Back America. We launched this series... By the way, it'd be great to issue all the bloopers sometime. <laughs> we launched this series because of the outrageousness of that senator from Missouri, Josh Hawley. And when I say outrageous, at the outset, the outrageousness was, well, here again, today you'll see he's trying to hijack the radicalism. Then in his book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, he was hijacking the progressive and radical efforts by working people and middle-class people in the 19th century in response to the Gilded Age and the rise of the robber barons. He was harnessing that story in order to argue, rightly, 
for the breakup of the big tech companies. But ultimately, his vision of the breakup of the big tech companies was not nearly as radical as the story he hijacked from the likes of, well, likes of historians such as myself. We will at some point get to, as you and I know, we will get to his manhood argument, unless we find it too funny to even <laughs> take seriously. <laughs> but more importantly, this was serious business, which made him out to be a real fool once he was caught. He tried on July 4th, or the build-up to July 4th, supposedly he was quoting Patrick Henry to that effect. And the tweet went as follows, Professor K, saying that the United States was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Professor K, is that a true statement? No. <laughs> no. First of all, Patrick Henry never said that. Apparently, it later shows up in some Christian nationalist marginal type book, completely misguided, period, and it definitely was not the words, they were not the words of Patrick Henry. From the 50s or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, we could go looking for it, but it's in most of the articles. Well, what really adds to the, the crime, you might say, of trying to hijack the past is that when he was called out, his response was to say, hmm, I'm told the libs are major triggered by the connection between the Bible and the American founding. He added falsehood to falsehood. He doubled down on stupid, Harvey K. Yes, he did. Now, let's be careful when we say stupid. People should appreciate why it's all the more striking, his stupidity. <laughs> he went to Stanford as an undergraduate and majored in history. Stanford has a really fine history department. I'm sure the historians there, even if they're conservatives, would say, is he one of ours? But then he went on to Yale University Law School, a pretty dynamic, pretty impressive law school, okay? He'd know the Constitution, he'd know the Declaration, he'd know these things. Let's even suppose that somebody back when said, founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would know that that's a lone voice at that moment, or at best, somebody's fantasy of 1776, 77, 78, 79, somewhere in that, in that realm. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, let's start off with this. For a start, the revolution really has its roots in the writing of Thomas Paine, the English immigrant refugee to America in late 1774. He's here in 1775. He's now the editor of the Pennsylvania Magazine, which is a major advance for him. But the main thing about it is this. Paine the Patriot, as he will become, will write common sense and publish it in January of 1776. Now, Thomas Paine, let's be clear about something. His father was a Quaker. His mother was an Anglican. That means a member of the Church of England. He himself grew up very knowledgeable. He knew the Bible. I think he knew the Bible by heart because of his mother's insistence, but he also had notions about ideas about religion that had to do, if you like, a more liberated version of Christianity through Quakerism. But he was neither a Quaker nor an Anglican. He became a deist. It is not an atheist. Let's be clear about that. It's a deist who believes that God created the universe, the earth, the planets, the galaxies, the universe. And in fact, Paine actually went on later to write about all of this in the Age of Reason, his critique of organized religion, all organized religions, and the falsehoods propagated by them. And he said, you know, the creator, in his own way, he's projecting that the creator is still out there creating more of the universe. 
That's not the issue for us right now. The point is that when Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, fully aware, living in Philadelphia, he was fully aware of the incredible diversity of religious beliefs in that city and in America. I mean, you had the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians in New England, you know, the Puritans, in fact, in around the Boston area. You had the Baptists in Rhode Island because they drove out Roger Williams, who then helped to establish or literally establish the Rhode Island colony as a place where dissenters could go. You had in the middle colonies around New York and New Jersey, you had Dutch Calvinists. You had a whole host of folks that literally were a consequence of the Dutch settlement of Manhattan. And then you had Swedes who brought their own rendition of Protestantism down in southern New Jersey. Then you have in Philadelphia, Quakers in great numbers. This is the Quaker city, right? right. They also had Moravians. You had Lutherans in great numbers from Germany. I mean, it was really a diverse place. You had Catholics from France and Germany and elsewhere in Europe. And you had a goodly number of Jews in Philadelphia. It was a very diverse population, religiously speaking. And what struck Payne is they all seemed to be able to get along. And he knew full well that down south, you had basically the Anglicans, who would later be known as the Episcopalians, who were predominant there. However, you had emergent churches in the South, Virginia and elsewhere, out in the Appalachian Mountains, as far as you can go, in the Southern British American colonies. And they included Methodists, Presbyterians, and Congregationalists, and Baptists, by the way, Baptists especially. They were emergent, and I say growing churches. And look, I mean, that was the evangelical movement, which emerges out of the First Great Awakening in the 18th century. So he's aware of all this, and he thinks this is marvelous. He actually says in common sense, you know, that in many ways, God likes this diversity. He appreciates this diversity. You know, it's a blessing to America. But he also makes it clear that America should separate from the British Empire and create a new nation state, a United States. He doesn't exactly use the term United States, but he's projecting that idea. And he says that the rebellion he knows is underway is that that rebellion must become a revolution. Okay, The cause of America is the cause of all mankind. Moreover, he says, we have it in our power to begin the world over again. It's undeniably the case that common sense is informed by Paine's understanding of the Bible and his understanding of the diversity of faiths in what will soon become the United States of America. But when he proposes the separation, not only for independence, but also the making of a democratic republic, he outlines the bases of what we would call a constitution. He called it a charter. And that charter was a decidedly dynamic proposal on his part. And he closes his democratic discourse by saying it should also include a statement of rights. And one of the rights he insists upon is freedom of conscience, which basically is freedom of religion, freedom of worship. And then several times in common sense, he reiterates the imperative of freedom of worship. And I want to read just a couple of lines from Common Sense that you and I have already done, you know, a year or two ago, but let's repeat. He says early on, securing freedom and property to all men and above all things, the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience with such other matter as it is necessary for a charter to contain. Dictates of conscience means that no power, no government should be dictating your faith. That's imperative. And then he goes on, he says, as to religion in this new nation, I hold it to be the indispensable duty of government 
to protect all conscientious professors thereof, meaning whatever their profession of faith would be. And I know of no other business which government has to do therewith. In other words, that's separation of church and state. You can't get more forceful. Now, it isn't just Paine who's saying that. This actually becomes an important motivation in the colonies. You can imagine Catholics and Jews in Philadelphia and New York saying, wow, this is a revolution we should be supporting because this is a revolution that says it's not only going to be a certain Christian church, a certain Protestant church, it's going to be freedom of religion first. Down in Virginia, where I mentioned the evangelicals were really emergent, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, and the Methodists, those folks read this in Northern Virginia, those counties, and they're excited by it. Why? Because they don't trust the big landowners. These are farmers out in these counties, not planters in the same way as Washington and Jefferson. And their concern is, well, why should we get too deeply involved in this rebellion if indeed the Anglicans will still rule over us later? And there was always fear in the part of dissenting Protestants and others that the Anglican Church in England might try to impose a bishop on the colonies, which they never did. But it always represented a fear in the hearts and minds of dissenting Protestants. So from the outset, the revolution is not about one particular church or gospel or whatever. It is about freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. Now, let's be clear about it. Let's go to July 4th, or at least what we think of as the July 4th document, the text, the Declaration of Independence. Let's be clear about something. The founders themselves, contrary to the likes of Newt Gingrich's claim, contrary to the likes of Hawley's claim, were not necessarily Christians to the extent that they believed in a trinity. They were not. Most of them, the highlights, the most important figures, Jefferson, Franklin, and Washington did not believe in the Trinity. They were essentially deists. And I want to tell everyone, one of the really major figures in the conservative movement of the last 30, 40, 50 years is a man known as Michael Novak, who passed away several years ago. And Michael interviewed me for book television on C-SPAN. And I was really worried about doing that interview because I knew that Michael was this foremost figure basically on the questions of religion and politics. And I thought he's going to want to talk all about, you know, how bad pain was for talking about separation of church and state, blah, 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 whatever it was. But when we met in the green room before we went into the studio, he was excited by my book on Thomas Paine and the Promise of America. Why? Because I made clear to say, and over and over again indicated, registered the fact that Paine was not an atheist. He was a deist. And moreover, he made it clear to me that he couldn't necessarily prove that Washington, on whom he had a book coming out, was necessarily a believer in the Trinity. He actually gave way, and he came here to speak at Green Bay as a favor to me. He talked about how much these figures believed in God, but not at all did he make the case that they were the capital C Christians. Though, I can't tell you that he would have denied the Christianity in its involvement, but he would never have made the claim that it was founded in the gospel of Christ. Let's be clear about that. And we became friends, Michael and I. I mean, that's serious. He used to say, you know, I don't get along with Marxists and socialists and those <laughs> folks, but he said, you're gentle, which by the way, I would never call gentle until Michael Novak called me gentle. He stayed here at the house. We were up late one night talking. 
so you know i had i had a good friend who was one of those capital c christians who fully appreciated my argument well let's look at the declaration when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's god entitle them a decent respect to the opinion of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation notice the wording laws of nature and of nature's god we could really have a good evening's couple of drinks over that one okay <laughs> let's get deep harvey k <laughs> then if that isn't enough and as this author this editor of this volume in particular says the justification for this extraordinary act was to be found in the laws of nature and of nature's god jefferson a deist who did not believe that god played an active hand in the affairs of mankind nevertheless did believe that certain natural laws were god-given absolutely absolutely now Let's go to the lines that we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with a capital C, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The creator, that was the fundamental belief of the deists, whether it was Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, or for that matter, Washington, who didn't often talk about it. Paine was a militant deist. Jefferson was an active deist. He actually collected the best words in the New Testament, old and new, I suppose, in order to create what he called Jefferson's Bible. It was his own, his own little Bible. So what does it say? It's creator. That's the deist's idea of God. So again, the founding document, the declaration, that's the statement that we are a people. Didn't say the gospel of Christ. It said nature's God, the creator, self-evident truths, and so on. Having said that, I want to go one step further. Maybe Hawley wants to make an issue of, well, the Declaration is just the Declaration. How about the Constitution? Well, now I'm on really great territory. <laughs> the Constitution, as my dear friend Isaac Kramnik and his co-author R. Lawrence Moore, both senior political science professors at Cornell University. I know that Isaac sadly has passed away. I don't know for sure if his co-author is still with us. They wrote a book perfectly documented, published by a major university press and trade house as well, titled The Godless Constitution. They didn't mean godless in the sense of what a shame and a sin it is. Their point is the Constitution does not refer to God. It just doesn't. What does it refer to? It refers to we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We ordain and establish. Now, this is important. No mention of God, number one. Number two, there is no reference to religious tests or religious oaths to hold office. You do not have to be a Christian to hold office. This is the God, I was about to say a bad thing. This is the Constitution. <laughs> this is the Constitution. For all of its faults and failings, it was a truly revolutionary document in its godlessness. With a capital G, godlessness. Now, if that's not enough, think about this. The framers, having sent the Constitution out and about for approval, well, which he secured in 1789, 1787, I guess it's a drafting. But in 1791, they returned to the Constitution because there was great dissatisfaction. There was no Bill of Rights. 
pain in common sense. It said we have to guarantee certain rights along with the democratic republic we'll establish. So what they do? They created the first 10 amendments. And what is the very first amendment? It's known as the first amendment. And what does it say? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. No law respecting an establishment of religion. This is critical. I want to add a couple of things to this. First of all, when Washington was living in Philadelphia, which was the nation's first capital, he visited all the churches, all the religious establishments. I mean, he wasn't playing favorites in that respect. Moreover, it's Jefferson who later writes about that First Amendment establishing a wall of separation between church and state. And we have seen that wall punched through all too often in recent times by both Republicans and I believe Democrats. I not believe, I know Democrats as well. The point is Thomas Paine's common sense, the call for a revolution to create a democratic republic with certain rights guaranteed the citizenry. The Declaration of Independence, the actual document creating the new nation, announcing to the world that there are certain self-evident truths, announcing to the world that we Americans are now a people. We're no longer the British Americans. We are Americans in all our diversity. Whatever the faults and failings, and you and I know them all too well, we've gone through that many times. And then consider the fact of the Constitution. This is small d, democratic republic, founded for freedom of conscience, separation of church and state. Government has no role otherwise than to protect the practice that people choose to pursue or not pursue. So, Hawley, shame, shame on you. Rumor has it there are people at Stanford History Department who are wondering, <laughs> where did they go wrong here? Okay. <laughs> and Professor K, you make such a good point, and you mentioned it early. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because folks like Hawley and his ilk, they say lies like this as a pretext for then crafting laws that are rooted in fundamentalism, in theocracy. The Supreme Court ruled, I think it was last summer, that the football coach who now can pray at midfield after every football game at a public school, it's a well-crafted, well-funded project. This is all intentional. Look, you and I know that for some years now, there was the Me Too movement, okay? And the idea was that somebody in a position of power should not be able to wield the power to take advantage of another. Let's be clear. If you have a football team, by the way, it doesn't matter if it's a football team or a soccer team or whatever, right. that team may well include diverse faiths or people have no faith, do not wish to participate. And if they say, I'm not going to kneel and pray right now, how are they going to be handled by that coach? Look, go out. There are churches all over America. Religion is a major force in the public realm. Religion is a major force in so many people's lives. But that's different than imposing a particular gospel or theology or divinity or conception of God or anything like that on people who do not wish to be subject to it and are entitled by law, the founding laws, to not have to be subject to it. Professor Harvey K., I am so happy that we were able to make this emergency broadcast work. We need to be rooted in history, and it just so happens that our history in this country, it is a progressive one. 
Holly could very well be a vice presidential candidate here very, very soon. So this stuff is important. That's right. You bet. It's either going to be Trump or DeSantis who, who recruits him, which doesn't help our cause at all, obviously. Even more of a reason for us to take back America, Professor Harvey K. Where can these folks find you on the internet? I'm still, first and foremost, on Twitter. Okay. Elon's not driving me off. Okay. <laughs> Harvey JK, H A R V E Y, initial J K A Y E. And if I can just add one thing, as you know, Hartzell, last night, July 5th, Marianne Williamson and her Wednesday night series of firelight chats had me on to talk with her for, I guess it was about an hour, mm -hmm. all about a mindful Independence Day. We talked about Thomas Paine, common sense. We talked about Thomas Jefferson and the founders. We talked about the Declaration. We talked about those who laid hold of the promise of the Declaration, the movements through American life, the presidents, the greatest of presidents, Lincoln and Roosevelt. I mean, it was a really fine conversation. If all of you get a chance, it's on YouTube. I guess it's under Marianne Williamson. I don't know if my name would be associated with it if you plug it in, but July 5th, Marianne Williamson, we had a really, really good conversation. Well, how about this? Since you're going to be out of town next week, we're going to hit play on your conversation with Marianne next Tuesday. Sounds good. Absolutely. Thank you very much. My brother, Professor K, enjoy some time off next week. You're a busy man, Professor. Well, I'm busy next week on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, brother. Love you, man. Thank you, Hartzell. We're all Show.